My name is Vida, Sister Prince. Today is Friday, September 10th, 1993, and I am interviewing Roy Glasscock on his life for the Oral History Project Race and Memory in St. Louis. This is my independent study supported by the Missouri Historical Society. Mr. Glasscock, your date of birth, please. The 19th of October, 1936. Okay, so, so you're 57. Right, going to be 57. Right. Going to be 57, okay. Um, tell me about the, who lived in your home when you were growing up. Okay, when I was growing up as a child, uh, we had like an extended family, and I had uh, my father, my mother, uh, two other brothers and myself, my grandmother, and from time to time, I had an uncle that would stay there, and uh, from time to time, off and on, would be a cousin. Uh, and that's what was our household. Uh -huh. And how, how did things go with all those people? They went pretty, pretty smoothly all the time. I, don't, I can't remember ever uh, my father or my mother uh, fighting or bickering, you know, uh, anything like that. Uh, there was never any physical violence between the two that I ever saw. Uh, and things went pretty smooth. From time to time, you know, families will holler at each other a little bit, yeah. but there was no physical violence, nothing like that. But uh, And it ran pretty smooth from my perspective, too. Mm -hmm. um, you were, which child. I was a middle of three boys. Middle of three boys. Mm -hmm. um, what, what neighborhood was that? Okay, I lived in an area west of the, uh, right on the uh, Maplewood, uh, St. Louis city limits border, west of the uh, Frisco Railroad tracks and by the Frisco Roundhouse. Uh, so it was a blue-collar neighborhood. Most of the people that lived in that neighborhood worked on the railroad, uh, mo the biggest majority of them. What did your father do? Uh, let me think. Uh, he worked uh, at a place called Sefton Fiber Can Company. Uh, I can't remember. Well, before that, he worked for McDonnell Douglas when it was downtown. Uh, then he worked for Sefton Can Company. Then he left there and went to uh, a uh, front rank furnace company. And then he went to uh, a place called Stockoff Central, which did, did with heating and cooling. Mm -hmm. So, and then he retired from there and then worked uh, as a security guard later on. Oh, he did. Mm -hmm. um, all right, uh, where did you go to school? I went to a grade school at a, a school called Lindenwood School, mm -hmm. which is uh, at uh, McCausland and Lindenwood. It's it's still there. I don't know if it's a, still a functioning school or not, though. Mm -hmm. Did you walk to school? Sometimes. Uh, we were on, because of our location, I guess, relative to uh, our location right on the city-county border, there was a uh, city, we were in, right in the city, just a few houses. And so the school, there was Wilkinson School and Lindenwood. And my father felt that the Wilkinson School wasn't 
given my older brother a good education, so he moved us all over to Lindenwood. And that's where I started, and that's where I, I went through the eighth grades there. So you, you could get to it by walking? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I could get to it by walking, and frequently I did. Uh, walk or run, uh, but most of the time, walk or run. Yeah, and a lot of times we took a bus, uh -huh. uh, so we would have bus passes, and the bus stopped right down on a corner and dropped us off right at the school. So uh -huh. frequently, most of the time we took a bus, but freak, you know, we did walk from would, time to time. Would you consider it a school that you would want your children to go to? If it was. Uh, of the same uh, discipline and that is it was when I went yes mm -hmm. yes who made up your neighborhood okay our neighborhood was made up of uh, middle well, I'd say lower uh, middle class our upper lower class uh, blue-collar workers mm -hmm. um, but of what backgrounds and what they were a hodgepodge, I would think. There was uh, uh, some Italians, uh, some uh, uh, Germans. Uh, it, it was just a, a, a Duke's mixture of all kinds of people. And uh, did you, you played with kids in the neighborhood? Oh, yes. Uh -huh. um, what role did the church play in your in your family, in your life? Okay, uh, we went at one time to a, to a, a church called Lindenwood Baptist Church, which is still there, and they're on uh, Lansdowne and uh, uh, right at McCausland, I guess. And uh, we went there. My, my mother's uh, father was a, was a preacher was a traveling preacher and uh, so we went there uh, off and on well per pretty regularly we went to to uh, Sunday school and church there uh, my father got uh, embittered against the uh, pastor of the church because he wouldn't marry his sister to another guy who she'd gotten divorced and you know how Baptists feel about divorces and that so he would elect to stay home and not go to church, but uh, we, the kids of that, my mother would take his kids to the church. And then uh, as, a, as a young teen with the kids in the neighborhood, we went up to the church of the Nazarene in Maplewood. And uh, we were, uh, and then uh, when vacation Bible schools were going on too, we used to hop around to different churches for vacation Bible school. You know, something to do in the summer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what, uh, let's see, did, did you, were you able to find the things that you needed in the neighborhood as far as shopping? Did you go out of the neighborhood to, did you go downtown for school clothes or? No, we generally went, to, at that time, the, the Maplewood was a, uh, uh, real nice commercial district, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, it had several shops. The whole on both sides of the street, uh, you know, for what 
I guess four or five blocks, maybe longer than that. Uh, and we used to go up to Maplewood and do our shopping there. Or we shopped at a for groceries. There was a Kroger store on Sutton, and we shopped there for a long time. Uh, because I think that they had a bigger selection than any other stores that were closer to us. Uh, we shopped there for years, and, uh, but like school clothes and stuff like that, we always seemed to buy them out uh, along that Maplewood Strip. That was my mother's favorite pastime to go shopping on Friday night in, in Maplewood. <laughs> As a family? Uh, yeah, a lot of times. Yeah. Grandma go to? Uh, yeah, a lot of times, uh-huh. Uh -huh. um, did World War II have a extra effect on your family in any way? Uh, not, that I, not directly. Uh, my father and my uncle, uh, I think, I'm not sure, but I think they were old, too old, you know, to go to war. Mm -hmm. So they, and then my father had the, the three kids and that, but uh, they well, my dad worked at McDonnell Douglas, but other than uh, you know the propaganda and the movies and that, mm -hmm. there that it didn't have any you know direct effect. I don't think you know we were. I still think that we are very patriotic and that there, and, and uh, uh, I, but it didn't have any direct, direct effect right. on the family. Um, how did you spend free time as as a kid? Well, we did all kinds of things. <laughs> we played a lot. Next to my house was a, a big vacant lot, and we used to play ball a lot, a lot. Uh, we played ball all the time. And then uh, when we got bigger, we would play ball, and then we f created a horseshoe pit, and uh, we would play horseshoes. Uh, played a lot of that. We would go... Uh, one of the things that we used to do, of course, I, I had a fall when I was a youngster, and I was always afraid of heights. But one of the things that we would do, we would climb up under the superstructure of the Filer Avenue Bridge, and then, you know, walk across the girders and stuff like that. So that, and then we would go uh, up to the dump. At the, at the end of Piccadilly Avenue, there was a dump, and a lot of times we'd go through there. And there's a uh, electric substation now, but there used to be a swamp uh, right off of Wabash Avenue in Wellington Court, which is real close. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a swamp there, and we had a raft in the swamp, and we used to go <laughs> rafting in the swamp. Sounds like country life. It was an adventuresome. Uh, yeah, there was there wasn't that many people around, and you know most of the, like at the swamp and that there, the road went by there. There wasn't the traffic that there is now because uh -huh. most people took the bus and that, and uh, so it, it you know wasn't crowded in that. Did your parents know you were doing that? Not the well, not the not the some of the things. No. Yeah. yeah. And we didn't bother to tell them, you know. But, uh, and then we used to have wars over the swamp, too, you know. If, it depended on who got there first, you know. Uh, but, you know, you'd throw rocks at one another to drive you. If somebody was in your, on the raft in the swamp while you 
bombarded them with rocks and stuff until they left, and then you got the raft. Were your brothers, did you all go as a gang? Uh, uh, my older brother, he uh, didn't, but me and my younger brother and, uh, uh, used to pretty well tag together most of the time. And then a couple of guys in the neighborhood. Um, and how about with your family? I mean, was there any leisure time in your dad? Well, they worked most of the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> well, my dad's, what he would do, he'd come home and generally take a nap. And then uh, uh, my mother would come home and then we'd, uh, grandmother would fix the supper and that, and we'd eat supper. and. Well, sometimes we'd listen to the radio and uh, do homework and things like that. In the summertime, we would go out and play, and usually till dark. And uh, and then uh, my dad, he'd listen to the radio and, and read. And then when television come along, when I got a television, and we'd look at that. Your mom came home, but not was she working in a? Yes, she worked at a. She was a nurse at the Barnes Hospital. At Barnes Hospital. Mm -hmm. Time? Oh yes, uh huh. And then uh, she later was became involved in a nursing school and was with that for several years in the school of nursing. Which one was that? Bar the Barnes Hospital, uh huh. Barnes Hospital School of Nursing. What did she? How was she involved? As, as what? Let's see. She was one of the. For a while, she was a recruiter because she used to go all over the place recruiting. And she was like uh, one of the uh, sub-deans, I guess you'd call her. Uh, there was a Mrs. Campbell, I think, who was a head woman, and she was one of her subordinates. Um, how, uh, so when you all were ill, how, how were you medically treated? A lot of, well, um, let me think. A lot of times, if we were just sick or something like that, my my mother would bring home the penicillin and give us a shot. Uh, and we had doctors. I can remember uh, I was operated on my neck one time uh, for like a cyst in my neck, and uh, that was over Christmas. But uh, and then I had I had a lot of you know measles and. All kinds of stuff. But you had good medical treatment? Yes. Um, were you aware, when did you become aware that there was discrimination uh, That's of people, um, or segregation? That's a, a good question. Uh, I was in a neighborhood that was all all white. We didn't have any people of mixed origin. Uh, when even going to high school, uh, there was you know I didn't look at you know prejudiced as that you call it today. If somebody didn't like somebody, I just figured they didn't like them. You know, uh, I didn't wasn't confronted with this here, you know, black-white until I joined the service right after I got out of high school and I went to uh, 
well, I was in Philadelphia, but when I went through Maryland, I got transferred to Norfolk, Virginia, and when I was going through Maryland, I walked in a, a bus station and it said whites and coloreds on the drinking fountains, on the restrooms and stuff like that. And that's really the first time that, uh, that I, you know, said, what's going on here? You know, because I never had any, was confronted with any of that. When, when I was younger, I used to go to the ball game in, uh, up at Sportsman's Park, and there was a lot of black people living up there, but they didn't bother, you know, anybody. And, you know, you could walk freely right in amongst them. I used to catch a bus. I used to take the streetcar from the ballpark to uh, Grandin Market and then catch the Lindenwood bus. And there was, right there on the corner, there was black people out there never, never would bother you, say anything bad to you or anything. So, and I was never afraid. Uh, when I got into the service, though, it's when I, you know, began to see things like that. So it wasn't until I was around 17, to 18 years of age that uh, I began to see things like, you know, race prejudice and, and uh, things like that. Uh, in politics, uh, in, in, there's a, a given amount of politics with anything, uh, you know, now later in life. But when I was in the Navy in that there, you, you had a structured military rank in that there. And there, there was no, to me, no politicking or, you know, that much favoritism in that there. Uh, if you did your job in that there, you know, I think everybody was treated pretty fairly. Uh, so, you know, there wasn't, I wasn't confronted with the po politics of issues and that until after I got out of the service even. Your high school was Southwest? Southwest High School. Uh -huh. That's on Kings Highway. Right, Kings Highway and Arsenal. Um, and so uh, you started high school, you, well, you, you graduated in 54. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Um, and when did you go in the service? Uh, well, I started in the reserves in 1954. Uh, actually, I, I think I graduated in 56 because I managed to find my grade school graduation picture yesterday and it had a, a date on it. So I think I graduated in 56, but I started in the Navy. In '54, is a reserve out here at Lambert Air Force, uh, Lambert Airport. And uh, when I completed my high school, then I went right into service. When were you first aware that there were people whose skin was a different color? Well, I, I had, you know. Uh, seen black people in that there uh, when uh, uh, when I would go to the ballparks and stuff like that and of course during the war and uh, when it was going on there was a lot of uh, propaganda against the Japanese and uh, uh, a large amount of propaganda against the Japanese so I knew everybody was supposed to hate the Japanese but there was you know the back black people just wasn't in the picture at that time wasn't in the picture in what way? Uh, as far as, you know, 
me being aware that there were uh, any differences in, you know, other than skin color. Um, did you, how were people that were different, um, did you hear anything at home? Was, was there any conversation just generally uh, about other people, whether it came from your father's work or your, your mother or someone who owned a store? My father, he was probably prejudiced against groups to some degree, uh, uh, but he, you know, they would, there was jokes about uh, going around, but he wasn't really much one to tell jokes in that there, uh, but, uh, and my mother was really open-minded and really, I guess you'd say a really a liberal person. So I wasn't really confronted with a whole lot of that. Uh, we would, if we met people of different origins and that, we would uh, generally, you know, it was more or less talking and conversation about backgrounds and how things were, where they, you know, uh, came from and that, you know, on that vein. Where did your people come from? Uh, Let's see, my mother from Northern Illinois. Uh, she grew up in Northern Illinois and then she came to a nursing school at City Hospital. And my father, uh, his family all came from Arkansas and he was going to, his father was a uh, doctor and him and my uncle were going to medical school at uh, St. Louis, or at City Hospital. And that's where they met. Uh, my fa my grandfather was killed. Uh, now he was a member of the Ku Klux Klan, and they used to have. And this is long before I was even thought was of. This it. Arkansas? No, right here. Oh, oh, he was your grand, your father's father. Right. Was a member of the Ku Klux Klan in St. Louis. Right, okay. and. Uh, I don't know if my brother still got it. He used to have the Ku Klux Klan uh, uniform, even you know. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing that they had it, you know, packed up and put away for never to throw it away. For uh, I don't remember the last time I seen it. You know, it was just folded up in a drawer. But uh, he he got murdered. Uh, I don't remember the date. Uh, but he, he was killed, and after he was killed, now he, he was killed through what I perceived after I read, got the police report and read it. Uh, it appeared to be a jealousy between a streetcar operator, a, there was a streetcar operator and his wife, and uh, Evidently, my grandfather was a practical joker, and he had played a practical joke on this guy, and apparently he took offense, and then uh, my grandfather also was a gun advocate, and uh, he kept guns around his office, and, this, and he had one mounted on a plaque on his desk, and this guy, and it was loaded, a loaded gun, and the guy picked it up and shot him in the head with it, and that you know, killed him. And, uh, 
course, he claimed it was, you know, accidental, you know, that he didn't know the gun was loaded and it just went off and that was all the rest of that. But as a result, uh, they had no insurance or anything like that. And uh, so my mother, no, my grandmother was more or less like a, a penniless widow and she, of course she didn't have no uh, job skills or anything like that. And uh, so my father and my uncle left medical school and went to work to support the, the family. To support, you know. Yeah. And uh, he met he met uh, her while they were working at the city hospital and were married. And I'm not sure if uh, my older brother was born before he was killed or not. I don't. I think he was killed before uh, he was born. But then there was my older brother, me, and my younger brother, and then he had a couldn't. Uh, go to school he had to work to uh, make ends meet. How did they explain what a Klan outfit was to you? They didn't. Uh, let me think. I seen it in a in a drawer. We had like a shift robe and it was in a bottom drawer in a shift robe. And uh, I asked what it was and I was just told it was a Ku Klux Klan outfit. And that was about as far as it went with me. I I wasn't that curious about it at the time. Did it? What did it mean to you when you found out what a Ku Klux Klan outfit was? Well, that would have been a long time later. Uh, and of course, then there were a lot of changes in the family. Uh, When I'm trying to think of how old I was when I when I found come across that I was probably in high school, and I just passed it off. And it wasn't until later that you know that I found out what the Ku Klux Klan was. I said, "Whoa, yeah, wait a minute," you know. And uh, like I said, my father he was a pretty open-minded person. You know, we. He belonged to a lodge that was called the uh, Independent Order of Odd Fellows, and he was uh, a member of that for years. And again, of course, through that they met all kinds of uh, you know, met all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds, you know, rich, poor, you know, in between, and that. And I never perceived any real prejudice on his part. It's you know now why my grandfather was a member, I would just be, you know, uh, conjecture. Uh, I, I don't know. I just, I just don't know. Um, all right, let's see. Um, originally, where did your family come from? Uh, what countries, what? Well, my mother's name, maiden name was Myers, so she was uh, the, the German stock. And uh, I'm not sure if her father was an immigrant or not. I, I, I'm just not sure. Now, my father's family, they came from Arkansas, and he used to tell me that, you know, they came uh, through from England through Virginia long, many moons ago. So 
originally what country, you know? England for England. my father's side and Germany for my mother's yeah. side. Okay. Um, all right, let's see. Um, your future when you were a kid. You were, you were a policeman for yes. a great part of your life. Mm -hmm. Is that something that uh, you, when I grew up I want to be a policeman? No, I think I just kind of fell into that. I, uh, when I got out of the service. Well, I was going to stay in the service, but I uh, I, joined, I always had this kind of wanderlust. I've always wanted to travel, and that's the main reason why I joined the service. Well, <laughs> I, I wound up in, in a town called Norfolk, and I didn't do a whole lot of traveling. You know, I, I did go to the Caribbean and, uh, and down and through there, but I never really got to go to any foreign countries like a friend of mine and I went in together and uh, uh, he went all over the world and I never got to see nothing but ocean. <laughs> so uh, so I had this wanderlust and when I got out I went to uh, Philadelphia and New York and applied for jobs up there, applied for traveling jobs and uh, I came home and I was going to go to uh, Los Alamos, New Mexico, and a friend of mine that I was in the service with lived out there, and I was going to go out there and try to find a job out there in uh, Los Alamos. So I stopped off in uh, in St. Louis and uh, uh, had every intention of going to Los Alamos, and uh, so my mother talked me into waiting and said, staying around till after Christmas. Well, it was about, oh, I guess about a, a month maybe, maybe not quite a month. And uh, so while I was waiting around and out there, my reserve cash was dwindling. And uh, so my dad said, why don't I go down to the police department and look for a job down there? So I was a photographer in the, in the service, so I went down there and I applied for a photographer's job. And the guy says, well, his name was Clarence Hammond. <laughs> and uh, he says, they didn't have any openings for photographers, but they might have in the future. And he said he could put me to work right away if I wanted to work as a telephone boy. So I started to work at, at the police department as a telephone boy. I was in... Uh, December 1957, and, and then the, this is without training or anything. This right. Just yeah, I just walked in off the street and went to their uh, personnel division and uh, a telephone uh, boy. Yeah, so I was a telephone boy, and uh, of course I didn't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. And uh, <laughs> Tell me. well, we had a uh, in in each police station, and at that time there was 12. Each police station. <clears throat> had a uh, switchboard in it, and uh, if you ever seen these police uh, call boxes, it says police telephones. These metal—they've uh -huh. taken them out now, right. but they used to be one on almost every corner of the city, where <clears throat> policemen could walk up down there and pick up the telephone and call into the station. Well, they were required to call in every hour, and then uh, they had little red lights on them on the top of them if something. Uh, happened where you needed policemen, you put on what's called a flash, which is done by putting your 
cards into the switchboard and activating the switches in the right way and it caused these lights on these tops of these boxes to flash and uh, uh, so that's what I did they, I, I was uh, the telephone boy if calls would come into the station well then I would take the calls and either connect them to the right party or find out what they wanted you know and uh, well, the policeman would call. They were required to call in, and I had a sheet called a call sheet, and, uh, and I had all the policemen's names. The leader, huh? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, so that's, I, you know, kept the call sheet. I worked, uh, I started working in the, uh, let's say I started working in the, the 12th district and I was like a relief telephone operator. Is that downtown? Uh, no, the 12th district is at Union and Page. Okay. And uh, so I, I worked there and I worked in the 9th district. Uh, I worked in the 3rd district. And uh, so I was working around between those or any place that they needed, you know, that somebody would call in sick and they would need somebody, then I would, I would go there. And I would work different hours. Sometimes I would work days. So my hours and that were kind of jumbled up. Uh, I'm trying to think right off the bat uh, that, uh, you know, I'm trying to think right off the bat if I, uh, if they were, the hours were tumble. That's been a long time ago. Uh, but uh, I worked there and I found out that there was a central switchboard downtown. And okay, I, I would work two days in one district, two days in another district. And the fifth day, a lot of times I would work downtown. That's how come I knew there was a switchboard downtown. And they put me on this big, huge switchboard downtown. And uh, of course, there was somebody there with you, and uh, and I learned it pretty quickly. And uh, so there came an opening for a switchboard operator downtown. So I elected to go downtown, or I I asked to go downtown to the main switchboard, and it was really uh, super busy in that there, and I think uh, nobody else wanted that job. But uh, I liked it because it was, the time went so much faster. Uh, I don't know if I was hyperactive or what, but it, it, uh, I, I just liked it. Well, that was right next to the radio room. And uh, of course, I was interested in radios. At this time, I was studying for a ham radio license and that. And uh, I was interested in radios. So I used to listen to the jargon on the radios and talk to all the guys on how the, you know, they did dispatching and that. And I became a complaint numbers clerk, or a radio clerk. Uh, and about this time, they, uh, uh, what, the way it used to be set up was the, the main switchboard for the regular telephone system, the bell telephone system, was manned by four policemen. And if people called in and needed the police, they would 
plug it right straight into the dispatcher, and the dispatcher would answer the call and send the car. Well, it kept the calls for services kept getting so busy and kept increasing that they made a position called radio clerk. Well, then when they made the position for radio clerk, I applied for that and got that. Uh, and I think it was because of my proximity right there, you know. And then they hired a bunch of people too, but because I was, uh, I guess, a, a faithful employee, <laughs> was working the other switchboard, and had learned a lot by that time, as far as the police working act goes. Then they made me a radio clerk. Then uh, I did that until 19. 60. And I was working as a radio clerk and dispatcher uh, and complaint numbers clerk. I did all that. Teletype operator sometimes. Uh, that I applied to become a policeman and was accepted, <laughs> which was a surprise to me. Why? Well, I never had ever had that much self confidence. And I probably in some respects I still don't. Uh, I was never overly confident and I wasn't even confident that I could make a good policeman or make a would, he, would even get selected to become a policeman. So uh, when I was I was highly elated you know and uh, it was a, to me a, a major step up uh, when I became a policeman. So then I, that was in 1960. So then I became a policeman. Uh, I was sent to the 9th District and uh, I stayed there, oh, I guess about a year, uh, maybe a little over a year. And my supervisor that was downtown kept want me to come back there. Evidently, he thought that my work was good enough that he wanted me back to work for him. Now, as a policeman, um, your job was what? Uh, well, when I came out of the academy, uh -huh. just, uh, let's see, I spent uh, some times uh, in a patrol car and I spent some times walking a beat. So. And where, where, um, where is the police academy? At uh, 315A South 12th Street, 12th and uh, between Clark and Spruce. And how long was the training? Uh, 12 weeks. And um, so in 1960, was that an all white? No, uh, no, it wasn't. Uh, let's see, there was a guy named How. Uh, Housley. Housley was a black guy. Charlie Smith was a black guy. Uh, I'd have to get my academy picture back out, but there was, I think, three or four black guys in the class. And uh, I remember Charlie Smith and Housley. Housley later on, he went, went with the FBI. Charlie Smith. Uh, he got in trouble, uh, oh, and I don't remember how long he was on. He got in trouble and uh, with procedures and rules, and uh, 
was, uh, I don't remember, I think he resigned under duress because uh, they were good at that, uh, the police department was. How, how was that? How are they good at that? Uh, well, they, and I say they, uh, if, if you violated the rules, uh, or, or done something really terribly bad, it was really against uh, uh, the rules, they uh, would make it so bad that, you know, that you would want to just, you know, they'd talk you into quitting and say, you know, to preserve the honor of you and your family and the police department and all this, they give you a spiel about, you know, you got to quit, you know, and a lot of people did. See? And of course, once you quit, you're gone, you know, you forfeit your right to a board trial and that there. And so at that time, a lot of them would just quit, you know. And I think that's probably what happened to Charlie. And then he later went to work for a circuit attorney's office. How, how did they go? I mean, how were they accepted? Uh, how were applicants accepted? How were the black, uh, how, what were they, Negro at that time? Uh, yeah, well, when I was going back to the 9th District, when I was a telephone boy uh, in the 9th District, they had an all-black precinct. Uh, and uh, of course the whites, some of the white policemen didn't like the black policemen, but I always got along with them really well. Uh, uh, and again, I, I wasn't that perceptive as a young, young adult to, you know, I was in my own world, I guess, but I, I didn't perceive a lot of uh, uh, Prejudice it did at these times. Uh, later on, I did, but uh, uh, to me, all this was a new adventure, and you know, I'd never worked with black people, and I met a lot of really nice black people. One of the one of the sergeants, the uh, precinct sergeant of this black precinct, where he later became the uh, chief of police of Gainesville, Florida, and he works now. Uh, I think someplace out in Kansas City, uh, but uh, and he was the uh, assistant chief of the city, also. Uh, assistant chief of St. Louis. Yes. So, so in 1960, the early 60s, are you telling me that the, that they had like a that the police department was segregated? Yes. Uh, and yet you had three black officers in your class, so. Were they trained with you, and then they went to yeah. work in the black precincts, or uh, how did it work? You tell me. Okay, yeah, they were trained. We went to school uh, right to the academy, and when we graduated from the academy, we were all assigned to uh, different districts. And uh, I think, I'm not sure where Housley went, but I know Charlie Smith went to the 8th district. but. He was black, but then there were some of our other classmates that were white and went right with him, you know, to the 8th District. And uh, I went to the 9th District. The 9th District was uh, predominantly black at that time. And, uh, uh, but it had the, the uh, gaslight square in that, and that was all white. And so, uh, again, I didn't, I wasn't more or less, I, 
I, I knew, you know, it, it started to creep in that the, you know, the in the my thick brain that there was prejudice and there was people who would do things, you know, because they were black or white or, or whatever. Uh, but uh, the people that I worked with and out there, I always got along with it real well. Matter of fact, I, I've seen, well, I, I used to work with a guy named Adrian Thomas. Uh, I was a telephone boy and he was a policeman and super guy. And he, he still is to this day. Julian Boyd, uh, he is the, uh, he works a, the safety commissioner for the city of St. Louis, something like that. Uh, he's a, you know, always got along great with him. Now he, he became uh, uh, not an assistant chief, uh, but he, he went high up in the police department too. But did you, did you get a feel uh, from the police department itself that, uh, of of a, a climate of uh, prejudice, are working together, or um, yeah, I think that how you were supposed to be, or what they expected, and status quo, whatever. What, what was it? okay? The uh, there was a uh, a division between blacks and whites, and when the black people uh, would make advances or would get promoted in that there, and then people you know, would say, you know, uh, that this guy was a black person and they, they shouldn't have promoted him because he was black. So they didn't use black in those days, did they? Were they using black? No, well, a lot of times they just call them niggers, you know. But a lot of, a lot of the old time white guys were, uh, I think, you know, looking back on it, were pretty prejudiced. but. Especially if a black guy got promoted, you know, and they didn't, you know, they kind of looked at that as a in a in a front, you know, that they did a black guy would get promoted and they wouldn't, so then they would expound on that. But usually, uh, I never really seen any face-to-face -face confrontations, you know, where one guy'd call a guy a nigger or go to his face. Yeah. It was right. just behind his back. Right. Or to another white person. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, I'm sure there was, and I didn't really get into that until uh, later on because uh, uh, it came about one time that uh, there was a selection process going on and uh, I said, you know, who I thought ought to get this uh, particular detail or whatever it was, and the, the guy turned around to me and said, well, that guy's a nigger. I says, what difference does it make, you know? He's the best guy for the job at that time, you know? I said, you know, he does a good job, why don't let him have it, you know? And that was his, his remark. You can't give it to him, he's a nigger. I says, so what, you know? So, I'm not... I'm, I, I, we all have our prejudices, okay? I am, I have prejudices where there are certain black people that I don't like and there are certain white people that I don't like. And I, I try not to use the term nigger uh, 
because I, I just I just choose not to use it. Uh, but uh, there are I, I've got black people that are friends of mine now, good friends. I work with a black guy. It's a terrific person. Uh, and I, zoo ranger now. Yes. Right. And yeah. And of course, I work with black people that I don't care for. You know. So I view uh, the differences, and I view people more or less along their behavioral traits rather than their color traits. Uh, I don't look at people as niggers. I don't look at people as, uh, you know, I would just as soon associate with a black person that has uh, a higher standard of values or a higher uh, ethical Makeup than a white person. Let's say we we call them Hoosiers, you know, than a white Hoosier, you know, that has got pigs living in his basements or you know, or beats his wife on Saturday night or things like that. So I'm not a highly prejudiced person. Uh, I wouldn't want to live. Well, let me rephrase this here. I. I wouldn't mind living in a mixed neighborhood, you know, uh, but these uh, with these little black gangs and stuff like that there, I think just for safety reasons, I, I'm going to choose not to, you know, and that, but I, I have some long range plans of my own that I've, that go back way back to maybe childhood days, you know, where I, I've always wanted to uh, live in a rural area and, uh, and of course I'm a radio operator, I told you that, a ham radio operator and that fits right in with that so it isn't so much moving, I'm going to move but it isn't moving away from, it's that's what my goal has been for. That's a dream. Uh, well, an adult too, you know, uh, one of my reasons for wanting to move out like that there is so I can put up these huge antennas and that and experiment with the uh, antennas and things like that. But uh, getting back to the, uh, the black and white, uh, I wouldn't, uh, I would, and I've said this before, I would just as soon have a black person as a neighbor, a, a, a good black person as a Hoosier. Uh, it wouldn't bother me. Uh, What's a Hoosier? Uh, a very low class white would be a white nigger, you know, and to put it bluntly, you know, pe people. Well, see, that's a problem too. People lump all the black people in and say, "Oh, they're all niggers," you know, but that's not true. There are black people that are well educated and uh, got good manners and are they're just a pleasure to be with. So you got strata of black people ranging from black to nigger. Uh, black people in you know, a spike class or uh, mannerisms and that, all the way down to nigger. And you got white people, you know, they got high class white people and the strata is all, all the way down 
to white niggers or Hoosiers? Um, a question, not, and, and maybe a, a discussion between you and I. I. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm, it's a wonderment. Um, what does that word really mean? What, nigger? Mm -hmm. To you. To me, it is a word, uh, a well, the way I use it today is is a low class black person, low class. See, and and there are you know <laughs> you meet them every day you know that they are they are uh, people in my opinion that are you know through their mannerisms and their their talk and their profanity and that there they just ex exhibit themselves to be low class low strata people. Because they act the same way. <laughs> oh, maybe they, they, okay. They don't shuck and jive and out there, and uh, they wear cowboy hats and talk with a uh, poplar bluff twang, but uh, they are, you know, ill-mannered, profane. Uh, don't have any respect for people around them. Uh, so it's the people with, uh, you know, that are on either side, black or white, or it doesn't matter, Chinese or anything, that uh, are low class that don't know how to act. <laughs> so, so you're judging people by the content of their character. Right, rather than their race. Um, the 60s in St. Louis was as it was all over the country. A lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> as a policeman, um, could you tell me how you saw St. Louis um, and what was happening. There were there was a lot of a lot of things going on. Yeah, uh, yeah. With the well, the Vietnam War, uh, all the political upheaval, all the uh, uh, deal with the drugs at that time, that uh, like the LSD and uh, drugs like that. Uh, the black uh, march towards more civil rights and that there, and then uh, uh, there was a lot of things going on in the 60s. Uh, from my perspective, uh, okay, the blacks in the city got affirmative action, uh, okay, uh, and then you, I think I seen a, a lot more uh, Animosity on a on a part of white people uh, within the police department. Uh, there was a lot more animosity toward blacks because of this, you know, because there were black people that were getting promoted and uh, getting better jobs than that who weren't really qualified for them. Uh, and uh, because of this, there was a lot of animosity. Uh, between the black policeman and the white policeman. Uh, police, policemen, in, in general, black or white, are conservative. They don't like a lot of change, and never, laws don't change uh, uh, that much. There's no drastic upheavals or drastic changes, so 
it, I believe that most of your policemen, the biggest part of them, are highly conservative <laughs> and to the right in uh, black and white. Uh, but, uh, and they don't like changing out there. And when the, the 60s come along, there's a lot of change and a lot of, of upheaval. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of animosities grew out of that. I think it, in some respects, I think it caused probably deeper divisions than if it would have went on, you know, like it was. Uh, if people would have, if they, they could have stepped up the uh, maybe education process, there wouldn't have been that deep of divisions. Uh, education process? Yeah. Towards? Yeah. The work goals. Uh -huh. uh, Educating yeah. people in what way? Well, like, the, for instance, with the police department, if they would, instead of just promoting somebody because they were black and because uh, they had political connections, you know, uh, and that they could have uh, educated them to the uh, a higher level before they promoted them because... In other words, make sure that he yeah, was, was qualified able, for a job. Yes, yeah. did that first. Yeah, but... Uh, so you felt that there were a lot of people who were not qualified and were promoted. Yes. Uh -huh. yeah. um, but by the same token, there were there were a lot, you know, that uh, were passed over. I felt should have got promoted. But. Uh -huh. Black and white. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, let me let me run through a few things that went on in the '60s, um, the beginning of, and, and see what touched you or or what was going on if, if the police uh, per se had anything to do or you would hear people talking about it. Um, the effect of the 54, 1954 uh, Kansas, the Topeka versus Board of Education law where schools were, were uh, desegregated. Um, did that change, uh, was, was there any conversation with that? Mm. I mean, it, it might have made, that didn't probably take effect until the yeah. 60s. Yeah. I didn't see where that affected uh, me and my role as an everyday policeman mm -hmm. to, okay. to that extent. Uh, Not at all. Uh, there were, I mean, I'm trying to think of, the schools that we had in our district uh, were all black. What were they? Can you remember? Uh, Vashon, uh, uh, well, what the heck is the name of it? One there at the Grand and the, no, not Grand. Uh, and we, we had Vashon High School. Was there a wearing school down there? Yeah. That was a grade school. We grade never, school. never had any problem over there. Uh, there was Washington Tech. I don't know. Uh, there was a Eugene Field School, and uh, every once in a while, the principal would call us in there and uh, for uh, well, they would have a fighter, one thing or another. But generally speaking, they they handle their problems, their internal problems themselves. Uh, we got into a big fight right in front of Eugene Field School one day. 
I can't remember. That's been a long time ago what that was all about. Was that a black school? Yeah. We arrested uh, some uh, black people right in front of the school. Uh, I can't remember what it was for, though. They was disrupting the school, I think. Were there black office, police officers and white police officers in that district? Yes. This was the 6th or the 9th? The ninth. Ninth. Uh-huh. Uh, this was Mill Creek. Yes. Uh-huh. And this was before, well, when it was Mill Creek. Uh, well, um, it was right uh, in the real early 60s that they were tearing Mill Creek down uh, and uh, moving people. Actually, it was even before that. Uh, I would say Mill Creek, I'd have to look it up the dates, but I would... They started moving people out of Mill Creek and relocating them in a 12th district, uh, 58, 57, 58, 59. Uh, there was, when I was a rookie policeman, there were still people in the Mill Creek, but they were quickly, you know, demolishing the houses and that. And uh, then uh, they moved everybody out of Mill Creek. Uh, and, uh, of course, then L.O. and Wall was vacant over there. So, <coughs> is there anything you could tell me about Mill Creek? Well, it was a really slum slum. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of really super poor people, and uh, they were just more or less locked in there, uh, you know, by virtue of their lack of economic uh, wherewithal, uh, a lot of uh, unemployment. Uh, I don't think it, there was as much crime then as there is now, for instance, as far as burglaries and that go, you know, within their own community. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, on Friday and Saturday night was always, uh, you know, a lot of fights, a lot of cuttings, you know, uh, stuff like that, a lot of assaults, physical stuff against each other. So when you say there's not as much crime, are you inferring that that, um, that I don't think they had that much to steal. <laughs> yes. You know, from each other. Yeah. Um, what else about the community? Uh, uh. Other than it being really a poor place, uh, in that I never, uh, never felt fearful or anything down in there. I was, uh, I didn't. <clears throat> Let's see. One of the things I did one day, I went down there and uh, you know, had. They used to have out these uh, arrest notices for uh, uh, people with tuberculosis. I went down and got this guy with t tuberculosis and talked to all of his neighbors and that and, you know, called the ambulance and me and had to take him down to Coke Hospital and then, uh, you know, never felt out of place or anything. You know, I just, I just didn't think about it, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I never had any problems about her. Uh, when, uh, after Mill Creek uh, moved out out there, you know, it was just uh, every day. I think, I think in those days people had a lot more respect for policemen and what they did for them than they do now. You know, 
and I'd, I'd never had any real problems at all. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so uh, the restrictive covenants, when that changed and people could move uh, into different areas, you know the restrictive covenants where the mm -hmm. housing was restricted to certain, uh, and neighborhoods began to change. Right. Um, did that, did you see that kind of thing? Well, not as much as in other districts because uh, uh, the ninth district was uh, basically it was uh, <clears throat> it was uh, a good degree. Well, they had a ninth and eleventh, and I combined them. Uh, the and it's still pretty much this close to the same. The uh, Black people all lived down on the eastern end of the ninth district, and uh, now you're talking about yeah, and then too, and west of Vanavinter, the blacks moved in. Uh, well, they were already up and down Washington Avenue and Delmar when I went out there. Uh, Westminster and uh, Maryland Avenue, they were moving.